Welcome back. This is episode number 16 of the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. For this podcast, we're going to talk data. Um, Dussex and Scotty have been using some apps on their phones to collect data when they're at their track. And they talk about it a lot. I want to say, well, yeah, they're pretty much obsessed with it. And data collection and, and being able to understand what you're doing on the track can be such a uh, helpful tool to really improve what you're doing out there and to shave time off your laps. But, you know, not that long ago, to get any kind of really usable information, you had to have a, you know, accelerometer and a computer in your car that costs, you know, a pretty good good chunk of change. And then you have to, you know, go out there and drive, plug that into your laptop, download the data, try to make sense of it. And, you know, not long before that, you know, data was pretty much something that was not really attainable to most of us. You know, you had to have a pretty fancy computer, and, and fancy sensors put in your car to really get anything useful, but the times have changed. Uh, now there are apps on your, your phone, the phone that you have in your pocket, that make that a really powerful data collection tool. And so that is the that is the topic of the day. How do you, like, what, what are some of these apps? What do they capture? How do you read and use that information to, to figure out what you're doing, you know, and, and to figure out where you can improve? Um, and, and how helpful it can be to compare with other people. Um, you know, just right at the top, I'll say, you know, if you like this, this channel, you like the content that we're putting out, please do, uh, you know, like and, and subscribe to the, to the podcast, uh, hopefully on iTunes. Uh, and leave us a review if you can. That'd be fantastic. And, uh, you know, before we throw it to the podcast, I just want to say, you know, this, this episode, as always, is brought to you by Flatirons Tuning. So if you can and you have a minute, you know, head over to flatirons.tuning.com, check it out, see if, you've, if we've got anything that you might need. And I will say uh, that with this episode, as with any others, if you have any questions, um, you can always reach out to us through the live chat on our website. That does go to a person. It'll probably go to one of the people that you hear talking on this podcast, and, and myself included. And so if you've ever got any questions, feel free to reach out to us there, and uh, we'll, we'll do our best to answer any questions that you might have. So uh, without further ado, here is episode number 16 of the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. So yeah, I guess I should make sure I know where my uh, track addict is. Now I tried to yeah. set my track addict up once before with. Uh, um, so shall we turn these on? Um, yeah, we can turn them on. I tried to set my track addict up once before with uh, um, the top one, the OBD two. Oh shit! Mm-hmm. And it just does not my my car just does not refresh fast enough. It just like so lazy like when you get on the gas the throttle just kind of comes up real slow and then you hit off the brakes the brakes just come on you know like Mm -hmm. it's because it's what they are right on or off all right guys we need a sync clack oh yeah we do need the we really do need it this time we really do need a sync clack we're going to try and do this together Uh, we got to get like right about here ready one two Tossless. Uh, it's just Tossless audio that's going to be off by like half a second. Uh-huh. That's okay. I, I think I can work with that. That's where I want to be. Man. Well, let's see. So this is... Welcome back. This is the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast number 16, if I'm counting yeah. right. And that sync clap, if you hear this in the audio, is because we're trying something different with this one and we're videotaping it. So if this goes poorly, well... Oops, but but hopefully <laughs> hopefully you'll actually see some of this on our YouTube page too if we can if we can put this together. 
Now, the reason we wanted to record this is because we've, we've had some talks in, in kind of the background about data, interpreting data, like, in, in, like when you're at the track, that sort of thing. And realized that it, it was a topic that we really wanted to cover, but because of the nature of you know, how it's recorded and the, the displays from like track data and stuff like that, probably would make the most sense if we could show you what we're talking about and not just talk about it in and of itself. So that's what we're going to try and capture here today. So who knows what happens, but that's, that's the intent. So I guess no, not as much of a cold open this time around, so sorry, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully do better on that next time. <laughs> but this, so that's, that's what we wanted to talk about. So the first, I guess, to, to start it off there is like, why, why would you guys want to record data on track? Like what, what, would, what would bring you to the point where you say, I need, to, I need to record some kind of GPS data, speed data, or whatever, of what you're doing on course or on track? Just so you can see how bad you're screwing up on track. Yeah, but how do you know? How? Why would Why would that tell you how bad you're screwing up? <laughs> well, when everyone else is going faster than you, and you actually have something that you can pull up and be like, "Why is everyone going faster than me?" And then when you can ask your buddy Ryan over here, "How fast are you going through this corner?" and he just brings up his phone and goes, "I'm going 46." Why am I only going 32? Mm -hmm. and well, and, and that brings up a, a real good point. What do, you, what do you even need to capture data? Like it used to be you had to have a pretty advanced you know, computer that you could put in a car, mm -hmm. but that's not the case anymore, is it? I mean, you can certainly still get that. Yeah. But like Scotty and I use um, Track Addict that's made by HP Tuners for the most part. And then sometimes, especially a lot last year, but occasionally this year I've been using my external GPS to try and really get the data even more fine. Mm. And um, so it, it basically enhances the refresh rate of that connection to the satellites. Right. And um, I mean that, at least the Track Addict alone, which is like they have a free version, but like for 10 bucks you get a lot of feedback. So for like Scotty and I, we use pretty much Track Addict mostly and we can have with the same program like a direct comparison side by side on what we want to like what we're looking at so like when Scotty says hey I'm only going 32 down here in this corner what are you doing and I'm doing 47 we're literally looking at data collected from the same program at least and this is through your phone right? this is yeah this is through a phone so I mean I use my phone quite a bit and this is the one that's already been smashed a bunch of times so yeah. like when I'm doing dumb rally stuff yeah I'm not super worried about it getting smashed or flying out the window and then for my Subaru, I actually have a nice mount that I run with my tablet. So I've got like a display that I can actually like really see pretty mm -hmm. good from the craziness that's happening, the chaos that's happened inside my Subaru. So. And, and the GPS that you mentioned, that is an actual like a GPS recorder, something that's maybe not specifically made to do track times, but record GPS data. Mm -hmm. So phones have like a built-in one, typically a one hertz GPS, um, which is... I don't know how often it refreshes that once a second or something. Mm -hmm. So with the external GPS, it's basically a module that connects to your phone or tablet through Bluetooth that has up to, the one I use anyway, has up to 10 hertz, which is 10 times per second refresh rate. So when you look at your data, I mean, you can see sometimes where it looks like you took like a, you know, went on a little rally course on the end of a turn and then all of a sudden you pop back on the track and stuff. and a big part of that is that refresh rate and that strength of connection between like your phone or 
you know, GPS to like the actual satellites. Some tracks are harder than others, like PPIR, when you're in the roval between turns one and two, I'm, I swear it's like a, a GPS black hole. Uh, sure. So part of it is having like a, with your phone, having a clear line of sight with like the sky. So a lot of people will put them in their glove boxes or put them in their armrests, and of course it's not a great GPS. Mm-hmm. So it's really relying on just explicitly like the accelerometers in your phone, plus it's getting flying around and stuff in there. Whereas external GPS, it's easier to put it in like in a good clear line of sight of the sky spot and it holds on to it way better. Gotcha. So it's a, it's an extra add-on. It's part of that equipment. Like the like you have your phone in your glove box, you know, that's something you can do. And then you have your phone in your windshield with like a nice a decent windshield mount. So now you're like thirty five bucks into a windshield mount. And then you can go to an external GPS which are like a hundred bucks. And now you're getting like your data's getting better and better. Then they have the OBD two dongles that you can plug into your car and then you can start relaying like data like engine coolant temp, boost pressure, you know, IAT, stuff like that too. Yeah. So you can really start getting deep into it, which I I don't usually get that deep into it anymore like I used to. You can probably actually see from the car when you're actually putting the brake versus just like... Right, it's the, using the accelerometers, yeah. yeah. And you'll see like when you, when you look at people's videos, like some of the videos that I've done, you'll see like the brake kind of is just like on or off. And sometimes it looks like I wouldn't even be on the brakes. It's literally using, like, if I'm, like, off the throttle for a second and back on it, it'll blip the brake light, but that's really not me actually on the brakes. So right. with the OBD2 dongle, you do get more, you do get a finer, you know, actuation of the brakes and stuff like that. So. Gotcha. Why don't you do as much of that as you used to? You said you don't do as much of the OBD2. So uh, two, the two big reasons is... Um, one, I like to see what my car's doing with the access port, like right there in the moment. Like, are my coolant temps too high? Are my intake air temps too high? You know, stuff like that I'm personally monitoring. Mm-hmm. And um, and the other part of it, too, is for my, I don't know if it's my from my car or the dongle I have or how it connects to, like, an Apple, but the refresh rate wasn't very precise. So, like, when you look at stuff with throttle, the throttle percentage would just come up really slow, even though, you know, like, what you want to know is, was I full throttle or not? Or it looks like I'm barely feeding the throttle when that's not the uh, mm-hmm. real life. And so that could come down to the hardware that I was using. So sure. So for me, I wasn't like I wasn't getting the information out of it that like say Scotty's car, which is a CAN bus car, probably puts out. You know, you probably your information is probably like way more precise than the information that my old 2002 bug eyes putting out. Yeah, so the CAN bus, that's just a, that, that's what came around to replace the OBD2 mm-hmm. system and basically interconnected a lot more of the systems on the car. It's, a, it's, it's basically a communication network that operates yeah. faster. When that faster. started in some cars in 2007, but yeah. like all cars had to be CAN bus from 2008 on. Yeah. So, well, well Tasso, what about you on for the rally car? What do you use to capture data? Uh, I don't use much other than the seat of my pants. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, when I do have Track Addict, then I use it when I go to the track because Track Addict needs a a track in it in order mm-hmm. for it to work, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's you, actually not true. It's not. No. Uh, so you can make your own, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but if I'm just going and driving a dirt road and comparing to myself, you know, whatever. It's, it's, if I don't have that data to compare to the other competitors that I'm competing against, mm-hmm. then. You know, I know in a vacuum, oh, I'm doing this, but we can figure that stuff out other other ways. And it's there's so many 
not that there aren't a lot of variables on tarmac, but there are more variables. I don't. I wouldn't find that information for myself useful at the level of competition I'm doing for hill climbing. When I go to high plains or something like that, yes, I do it so I can compare against you guys um, or you know get my time on the board. And I use, you know, most of the times if you are listening and aware of the the uh, high plains lap board that Flatirons has here and. Mm. Zach has one down at ZF too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of those times are coming from apps like Track Addict, mm-hmm. and I think it's good to know that I'm using the same app as you guys, so it's a more comparable time there. Um, but when I'm racing, actually, it's it's a whole different. Um, like for lap timing, it's done through infrared, and uh, right. And I have a trans not a transponder, but a uh, lap timer in the car that's standardized for the series. And right. So we have to have an infrared sensor outside the car, and they have a a beam essentially and so that's how that's all done which is cool to have that they didn't used to have it used to just be you know laser timing right um so you know you wouldn't find out what your time was until you could go and find a timing person that would tell you oh yeah you did a whatever whatever this last run and you're like oh okay cool mm-hmm. i think that's good maybe <laughs> right but now we cross the finish line we're all like hey would you run who would you run and we have the lap timer in the car to do that which is nice um but other than that, in terms of timing data, I don't have a lot. And I, you know, so now I'm on the Haltech, um, which has an amazing logging capability. And so I can go back and look at the log files. I have it set up um, essentially with uh, a throttle trigger and then a time delay so that it's timed so that I do get an entire run all in one consistent log throughout the run at a hill climb. So I can go back and say, oh, I know because of my GoPro footage mm-hmm. that at 20 seconds in, I'm going around this corner and then I can look 20 seconds into the log file and see, oh, here I am in this corner and I was I had these engine parameters. Um, so because it has, and I can set the refresh rate for, you know, some of that stuff is... So you can you can set the refresh rate to capture engine data right, the yeah, same so, way as like your, your refresh rate mm-hmm. for the GPS data. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So like RPM, if you were logging RPM, you know, once every five seconds, it wouldn't do you any good because right. you know I've shifted mm-hmm. four times in that five seconds, yeah. right? Um, but so like I have I forget now off the top of my head if it's 120 hertz or something like that. So it's wow. um, it's logging things that matter, um, you know, ignition advance, you know, not correction stuff like that. It's logging those at extremely high refresh rates. To, to give you versus, a, a real window into what's going on in the engine. Right, yeah, the... versus something like coolant temp or battery voltage. Right. You know, I don't need to know all the time. I just want to know if I'm draining the battery and not charging it up over the course of a run or if I'm, you know, creeping up, you know, because coolant's not going to change more than, you know, even when it's really changing quickly, it's changing, you know, a degree every second or something like that, right, yeah. versus versus, you know, 10 degrees in a tenth of a second. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, just your camp timing alone is changing. I mean, just crazy. Oh, oh, yeah, every time it hits yeah. a hard cut on the uh-huh. rev limiter, yeah. it's changing all sorts of degrees. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, so it's uh, um, not, it sounds like a lot of what I'm doing is similar to what you guys do, other than I don't have a lot of the immediate track timing data that you guys have. And, you know, if I had more guys I was racing with that did this and we mm-hmm. created these uh, track files for the courses that we do, um, but even then, you know, over the course of a weekend, the start line or the finish line may move a little bit because, yeah. you know, somebody runs over the 
the finish line marker or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we um, did. Uh, was that somebody in air quotes or? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah there were those pocket air quotes. Happens, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. You never know uh, what happens, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, and so it does stay consistent for their timing from yeah. class to class. But even so much other stuff changes in terms of weather. And, I mean, you guys deal with weather too, well, right? Yeah, but, and but, we get that too, even on track. We've been able to use the data to dissect the line. Where so we'll take my buddy Nick and for example, uh, Nick Stennerford was like, man, I tried your line and I've been trying it. It feels faster, but my time's exactly the same. Right. So he pulls up the session before, which it has his one time, and he pulls up the next session where he can see, you know, a really similar time with though he knows he drove different lines, and then we can populate like how much grip there actually was on the track, and you can see that even though his second time, which had the same, his right. second session, which had the same time, was similar you can see that there's actually way less grip on the track, and right. that's from heat, dust, So his wind. line is an improvement, even though his it, time Exactly, to help right. fortify so that. that. We have a, I mean, all the time, I'll have a run where um, I get to the top, I'm like, man, that was for sure a fast one, you know, that was so good, and then it's just the time doesn't reflect that. Or like, hmm. man, that was a total throwaway. <laughs> this isn't even just on gravel, too. Like, my current fastest lap at High Plains, I let off before the finish line because I thought it was just a junk lap. Yeah. Um, and so I, I rolled off, you know, 50 to 100 feet before the before the finish line at High Plains because that would and it ended up being my fastest one so far ever. Right. So <laughs> yes, it sounds you know, like I, I absolutely would gain something yeah, yeah. by doing more of that. Um, it sounds like you need to recalibrate your data collection pants. Yeah. Yes, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, no, a lot of what I do is not the best way to do it. <laughs> well, but it, it, it brings, that actually is a perfect point, which is, what, you know, why even collect data? Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're collecting information either about what you're doing on track or, or what's going on in, in the engine or both mm -hmm. to give you uh, more of a glimpse in there because, like, like the, the first piece of data that anybody had was just a lap time. Right. Yeah, because, and and to, mm -hmm. to an extent, like, that's, kind of the ultimate because like if, if you're competing in a hill climb it's whoever does the fastest you know mm -hmm. time up the section or if it's in time trials whoever puts in the fastest lap that's ultimately what you know kind of the, the rule of measure mm -hmm. but then there's all these questions that you start to have is like well, well why did it I feel like this was a throwaway lap but it was actually the fastest one mm -hmm. and why was this one that I thought was the fastest lap actually not anywhere near mm -hmm. and and that's where you start to have to kind of drill down a little bit well and that's so these apps like track addict you can break down your sectors um and every track you go to that's uploaded into track addict or harry's lap timer is going to have sectors already broke out for that track so you go out and do a session and you run say whatever a two minute lap and you go out and you do your next session and you run a 159. Now you can take those two, those two sessions and compare them back to back mm -hmm. by sector. Mm -hmm. Then you can compare the speed per sector, your top speed, you can compare your G's. Mm -hmm. um, and the amount of stuff that you can compare per sector itself is what really like benefits you as a person to go out for your third session. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and, and let's define what a sector is, or, or, or do you guys have a sense of how the sectors are broken up? So, I mean, each track is different, and also each app is different. So, like, originally we used to use Harry's Lap Timer, 
and came down to Harry's lap timer had one track that we frequent a lot, High Plains, down into two sectors. So, like, there wasn't enough definition in the amount of sectors, which a sector is basically like a stretch of track. You know, like, sector one is from this point to this point, right. and sector two is this point to this point. Well, with Harry's lap timer, there's only two sectors, so it's hard to really nail down they, in the definition. Eventually, they got up to four sectors. Oh. <laughs> but, but still, I mean, we're yeah. what, eight sectors? Yeah, seven or eight sectors with, um, with, with track addict. And so the sectors, basically, they're just breaking those chunks down into smaller sections. And there's got to be an intelligent part of it, too. Like, if you have a sector breaking right in the middle of a turn, it's really not that helpful right. because you're trying to figure out across two sectors. So... There is a part of that too, but essentially a sector is a portion of the, a, a defined section of track by that application of that app that right. says, hey, like this is you know what you did in this one particular spot. So you can see like, okay, did my sector two really help my sector three or did that turn that I did, what I did in sector two, did it hurt my top speed in the end of sector three? Like that kind of stuff. Like when it's broken down more, it's easier to try and pinpoint things, especially if you go out trying stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go full throttle over a turn, you know, the kink in turn three. Or I'm going to lift in the kink in turn three. And then right. you can see, does that help or does that make a difference? Well, and, and that's a really key point, what mm-hmm. you just said, which is, you, if you want to go faster, you know, there, it's, it's, it is not always obvious in, to you in the moment as you're driving. Mm-hmm. Are you actually doing something that's beneficial? Are you actually going faster? Or are you actually doing something that's making that lap slower? Well, and that's, Tasso said made me think about that. Like, you know, oh, this was a throwaway lap. It didn't feel fast at all. Right. And then you can look at your time and be like, oh, okay, so that was a pretty decent lap. Right. And then you can actually go in and look at your sectors and be like, oh, okay, so I actually did some pretty decent sectors mm-hmm. in there. Right. But... Yeah, and that my fastest lap of high plains is also not my theoretical fastest. Right, which mm-hmm. right. We haven't, so that's really, we haven't really defined yeah. what theoretical fastest mm-hmm. is yet, but but it means that for all of us, mm-hmm. um, consistency not only in what we feel but in what we produce with the car is usually one of the main things that we're working on on mm-hmm. a weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it, it, where benefit is to be gained for us. And too. that brings a question to my mind, which is. I think, you know, when you, when you start going on track, like at first, it's just, it's, it's something that you like to do and it's fun. And then you get maybe a little bit more proficient at it. But I mean, maybe where you would first start thinking about data is if you really start wanting to either have a really much clearer sense of what's going on on track, or if you're really starting to get serious about trying to go faster, mm-hmm. trying to trying to reduce lap times. Or, or if you have a 600 horsepower car and wondering why somebody in a 200 horsepower car is going way faster than you around <laughs> well, the same and that's track. Too. That, that's, that just defies physics. That's impossible, <laughs> so let's try and get to the root of mm-hmm. But that's, I mean, it's a fair, the, the more towards the uh, cutting edge or the yeah. leading it, whatever, the the, the, the more towards you get the real tip of whatever you're trying to accomplish, the more those little things make that difference. So the more valuable that track data becomes for you. Well, you well, live, here's, live and die by it. And here's what I was going to ask is, do you think that you, you before you really start deep diving into data, that you would have to get to the track enough so that you're somewhat consistent on track? So that, like you're saying, you know that you can lap within about two to three seconds consistently. Do you think you have to 
get some consistency going before you can really start making use of the data, or do you think data is always helpful? I think data is always helpful, and and even more so, I think it's part of what helps make you consistent. Because I feel like for a lot of people, especially novice drivers, and this is coming from like a, an education standpoint, novice drivers think they're driving a line that they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, they think that their car's like right on the edge of the rumble strip, but they feel like they're using all of the track. And like, you see with the lead follow, like, dude, you've got like, just so you know, there's three feet on both sides of the edge of the track that you're not using, and they think they're right there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times with the data, the data can help tell you that stuff too. Like, man, I feel like I was flying. Mm-hmm. And then you see that you're only doing, like you're letting off way before the break zone because there's always that, like what actually happened and what you think mm-hmm. happened. Okay. It's always happening. The data proved otherwise. Yeah, the data says that you did this. No matter what you think you're doing, the data says that you did this. Like, I'm breaking at the three marker. Yeah, but you're lifting off at the five marker. Exactly. So, Uh you know, like, you you really think you're charging, but actually what you're doing is is you're you're not pushing yourself hard enough, and the data's going to show that every single time. And it's a good point. Video is data too. Yeah, right? absolutely. It's, it's not just parameters or engine, whatever's right. It's a lot of what I've gained myself in terms of like my own movement discipline in the car. And I'm really bad about it. I still work on it all the time. Is yeah, in car video and proving to myself, oh no, I, I am just cruising around and palming the wheel sometimes mm-hmm. or stuff like that. Or, right. You know, I'm I am on the you know handbrake too much and this area or something you know it's videos videos data too absolutely i mean that's what we all that's what i used to use in my solo days well before all this stuff was even a thing you know because there's always like yeah my car just every time i turn it it just turns just does not turn in on time you know and Mm -hmm. you watch the data and it's not the car it's you you're just you know you're delayed or Mm -hmm. Maybe the opposite's true. Maybe you feel like, man, I'm really turning on time and the car's just not turning in. And you see that you are turning in. You go and check your alignment and your toes, like, way towed in. Like, okay, well, there's, there's an issue there. I mean, that's definitely part of, and that's something that most people should be doing, too. You know, being considerate of using your video and what information you're getting out of it. Do you want to see just the line? Yeah, make it useful video. Yeah, right? exactly. Do you want to see just the line or do you want to see, like, the line of what you're doing in the car, too? Are you really jerky? Are you holding your hand on the shifter through critical parts when you're not shifting? Or are you rushing to shift all of a sudden, you know? Like, mm-hmm. being able to see your hands in video makes the video way more valuable. And feet, too. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. to, uh, um, to what you're doing in the car from a from an ac- data acquisition standpoint. Mm-hmm. And that external video, if you can get somebody to, to even get your corner mm-hmm. entry into a couple corners, I mean, that's the whole, like, you're three feet off, you know? If yeah. you're, if you're a solo person at the track and you got a buddy with you if they can catch mm-hmm. any any video of you coming in here into or out of a corner and then you can see like man you're, you're nowhere near the apex mm-hmm. well like, and that's always been some of my favorite video to watch is somebody chasing me mm-hmm. you know because yeah. we're, we're i'm yeah. like i have my own data and i'm doing all this and then you you watch like a follow cam and that whole thing of like well i'm four feet off the, the turning point from the outside of the mm-hmm. track, you know, and then, oh, I'm definitely hitting that apex when I'm two feet off that apex every time. And, you know, sometimes your camera looking straight out the front window, it doesn't see mm-hmm. exactly oh, where you are on that mm-hmm. on that apex. Um, so, yeah, then that, that's always good. And then if your buddy has the, the data overlaid on that video, mm-hmm. you know, and 
it's it's humbling. It, it's, like it's humbling. It, it, it really kicks is. you right in the teeth, and it's like, oh, you think you're cool? No, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you're not that cool. Especially, I mean, like gravel side of things, right? Like, man, I was suicide sideways in that corner. Man, I must have been thrown over. And it's like you can't even see that the car was lying. <laughs> yeah. You can feel in your butt, maybe. Oh yeah, the rear end was out a little bit, but. I mean, well, at least stuff like hyper smooth makes it look really sideways now. And that's so. that's a big point of the data is that the data the data does not lie. Mm-hmm. Like so, what, whatever you think you're doing, can you look at the video or you look at the data captured and look at the speeds? Like, okay, did it actually happen the way that you imagined it or not? Mm-hmm. But then once you know that, then you realize, okay, well, I have I have a lot more room than I can use on that corner. I, you know, mm-hmm. I can actually get the car a lot more sideways than I thought that I could. Because what I thought was like hanging it right out there is like barely even a little scoot of the tail. Yeah, you know, like it it, it shapes it helps shape your perceptions to be maybe more accurate once you compare what you what you perceive to happen to what actually happened. Mm-hmm. No, definitely good for that. I mean, and there's latent functions of it too. Like a latent function for me, I like to have my data displaying all the time. <clears throat> so at least like my track my track data. It's not necessarily, I don't know how many times I've come through turn one, I'm like, almost like, oh, God, and almost lose it. And then I come through and it shows my sector one time, I'm up three tenths, like, oh. So you have to be, like, scared out of your mind to go really fast. Mm. Or sometimes if the car's running hot, like the Subaru, for example, if the Subaru's running hot, I look up and I see that I'm already, like, a second off pace. I'll just let off of it. Like, there's Mm -hmm. no sense in pushing the car unless Mm -hmm. I'm trying to try something specifically um, and then just set myself up for the next for the next session or the next lap or whatever it is. Like you get stuff like having that live feedback right there in front of you, where you can take sure. a quick glance at it. Like that felt crazy, and then you see that it worked. Like okay, well, crazy needs to be the new normal. Or you're like, man, the car just doesn't feel right. And you look right. and you see your temps are high and your times are down by two seconds. You're like okay, let's set up. Let's reset, you know, something that we have a luxury of that you don't really have with the hill climb because it's Uh, like one shot. You do (laughs) do it, yeah. That's that's another thing about the the tarmac driving is like if you want to work on something like you just want to work on your your apex speed through four Mm -hmm. and you're out on like an open lapping day or something it's not competition, you can throw away most of the lap and just look at the Mm -hmm. data from the sector that corner four is in Mm -hmm. and not worry about stressing the car too hard on it and just like you can look lap by lap at all the data and be like, which one, and especially if you can sync it with the video, mm-hmm. which line was the best line through four, how yeah. did I maximize yeah. it? And then, you know, your next session out, you're like, okay, we're, we're in corner six now. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try three different lines through corner six. I'm gonna sync the video to the data and which one had the highest apex speed, which mm-hmm. one was I breaking later? Was I fully using the track? And you can work on becoming a, like, like a more focused driver through the data that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It well, takes and, a lot of discipline. Like it does, but that's, I mean, that's a huge point, is going to the track to work on something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, you're, you're going to try and improve. I mean, most of the time, like, after you, after you get past the point where it's just a fun outing to do, like, if you're working on, want to, want to improve and you want to work on something, the data lets you actually break, break the track down, even beyond sectors, you can you know, break it down from one corner mm-hmm. to the next. And, yeah. You know, potentially you could spend a whole day working on one or two corners just to try and find how can I get the car through this corner and maybe this corner as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And then the data is the tool that lets you measure that. Like, was yeah. this actually faster or not? It's one of the yeah. biggest things that I, so there's a handful of things that are the biggest things I focus on. And 
So this is one of those handfuls of the biggest things I focus on is having that discipline to make measurable improvements versus just going out and getting red kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? Because it, yeah, I used to race other things, sailboats and then mountain bikes and stuff like that, right? And I just wanted to go out there and like, you know, find a fast point of sail and just, you know, go really fast or, mm -hmm. you know, just, you know, do sweet jumps on a mountain bike or blow corners up and make dust and stuff. And so... I didn't do very good at those. I mean, I did well enough on some sort of raw skill, but never had the discipline to, to do anything with that racing. And the car thing now, I told myself, all right, I'm not going to make the same mistake another time through. I'm going to focus on improving myself with, you know, that, that's, people talk about racecraft or discipline or, mm -hmm. or you know, those things. That That is racecraft is having the having the discipline to work on a corner and try a couple different things and then improve it and then do it as opposed to just going out there and kicking it sideways and mm -hmm. and you know making a bunch of smoke or noise or whatever or you know um, it, it, which is still fun and it's a lot of why I enjoy doing it. and so I'll, I'll give myself time to do those things still yeah. but you can make that video to show everybody how cool you are. Yeah, exactly. But you could make so. that video and actually watch it and be disciplined about mm -hmm. it to see how you can improve it. You know, so that your time to show everybody how cool you are. Yeah, we just went out and shot a fun video, and I will be looking at it for <laughs> things that I can do better. Because I can, uh, because of some of that practice now, I can see in myself when I'm driving for fun versus driving for time, kind of a little bit. Um, so, so I can look at the times, oh, you know, this is a section I really wanted to see how fast I could go through this corner and not just kick it sideways. And so then I can look at myself, oh, I felt like I was at this slip angle mm -hmm. or at this throttle position, or I felt like this braking point was a lot cleaner or, or even setup stuff, right? I felt like the car was more settled to this section than it looks in the video, but mm -hmm. I don't know, whatever it is. You talk about discipline. I had to exercise a lot of discipline doing rural drive with rallycross because the fun, the fun, flashy Rupert Barrington snapping a spot in this apex corner is like totally sideways, yeah, roost right. the tail like crazy, hands down the slowest line. Yeah. So right. there's always like this balance, you know, like you have to, okay, we got that one out of the way, I got the fun run, get the fancy pictures out of the way, now it's time to like gain my composure right. and really drive smart and not just for fun. Right. It's a decision, mm -hmm. right? It's a you could stay being a jamoke and you're gonna keep going slow. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're not wondering wondering to yourself, why am I not improving? Mm -hmm. Then good, good for you, right? If you it's know? if it's only for fun. Yeah, it's fun. not it's not that you shouldn't go and blow corners up and have fun, right? Mm -hmm. And just hang out in the duck on the outside. But, you know, have the self awareness to go, Oh, I'm the reason I went slower because I chose to, you know, do the sick roost line and mm. not the <laughs> not the fast blue groove line, right? Yeah. So blue groove is not even as much fun to drive, I don't think, as a loose course, but mm -hmm. loose courses are slower. slower. Yeah. Cool. Well, to to somebody that's coming in to try to evaluate data to begin with, I mean, how important or how helpful do you think it is to have like actual telemetry and video? Or do you think you would start with video first? Or or do you need do you need both? Or or can you just actually use like an app and, and still improve from there? I mean, if you have a GoPro already, use it. Yeah. You know, and you can set up the GPS to get some speed some speed stuff and stuff. But what you're looking for in a video is a little bit different than what you're looking for in data. Like I say data like track addict or something. Yeah. What you're looking for and video is you're looking for bad driving habits, you're looking for somewhat vehicle placement, 
you know, you're looking for seeing what your body's doing. You're looking for stuff like a buddy of mine who's really, really fast. I rode with him, and one of the things I realized that he's doing the whole time, it's distracting him. The whole time, his, he likes to run with his sleeves up, and his sleeves will come down because it's not very tight, and he'll be on a straight stretch. He'll take one hand out the wheel and pull his sleeve back up and then get back on it. I touch my face. Like, it's a, a tick I notice I do. Like, yeah. I'll be driving along. And and when you have when you have video like and that comes with being smart about it like you're not just video and you know your your right front tire doing cool shit when you're actually using video for learning being able to see your body and your hands is really I mean you're looking for bad habits and that personally to me that's a bad habit like if you're pulling your sleeve back down and putting your wheel hand on the wheel if that's something that bothers you so much that you're doing it in the corner something you really need to address. Like, okay, I need to just rubber band my sleeve or take my jacket off, mm-hmm. you know, like, so it's not a distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but when you're looking at telemetry, telemetry by itself is a lot harder to find, like, the nuances that you're doing. You can see, like, oh, maybe I'm breaking right. too early or maybe I'm turning in too tight, but you can't really see, like, necessarily the position of the car on the track accurately. You don't, the data doesn't show you pulling your sleeve back up. The data doesn't show you jerking the wheel really hard. You know, you might be like, oh man, I pulled 1.8 G's on that turn. It's because you're going into it and just yanking the wheel really hard. So they pulled 1.8 G's for a fraction of a second and the rest of the corner was at set or 0.7. Yeah. And so, and so they both have those two purposes. So if you're using one or the other, definitely use them for those purposes. But when you do start to overlay it, I mean, now it's like, the amount of information you can get out of it is insane. See, and it, it's like I really pay very little attention to my video, or the, the, the overlaid video, you know, with the data on there, because I'm looking at the actual, the, the, the numbers. Mm-hmm. And once I see that there's a sector where I went faster in that sector than any, of, than any other session I've ever had, then you can go back and just look at that session and that sector and then watch the video from that sector. Mm-hmm. And so you can really find point, you can really pinpoint the exact section of the video that you want to watch and see what did I do. Now this is, this is a probably a fair point. With, with a lot of these cell phone apps, I think with Trackatic, it will record video if you wanted to, as well as the data. Yeah, so like you, right there, yeah. Yeah, so if you have enough storage, you can do exactly what you just described. Go back and actually look at you know, whatever that camera on the phone was looking at at that moment, so you can kind of get your head back into that moment and see what you're doing. It's a, it's a great time to be interested in stuff like this because the resources are great. It's, it's yeah. ridiculous. And they're not super expensive. I mean, I use their free version of Trek Addict. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And GoPros keep going on sale. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then they're used and all that other stuff. Yeah. But uh, I, the big difference is, and I think this is one of the most key elements, is making sure you know how to use it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because I, we can tell you, and we can definitely, and maybe we will here shortly, but we can tell you everything that you need to be looking at a track addict. And if you don't know, it's really hard to, to process it initially. It's the same thing with me. People come with me with their aims. They'll walk up to their aim solos and be like, hey, man, and those are expensive units. You know, can you tell me what I'm doing wrong here? And I just, I look at this thing and I'm like, dude, I don't even know how to get the information out of this. And then so, and then somebody does figure it out. Like Nick got like an aim solo from NASA. He brings that to me, the whole laptop, and it's literally the entire 20-minute session all crammed into just one chunk. And I'm like, I don't yeah. even... 
I can't even tell you, and the amount of information, and it's all right there, I can't even tell you what I'm looking at. Engine data is the same thing too, mm -hmm. right? Doesn't do you any good, because I can do tracings mm -hmm. of all 10 hours of logging that are in my ECU, and it's just a scribble, right? Mm -hmm. But you need to know what parameters to look at to even have an idea. It just You should go into it, unless you're just looking for, oh, do I have big knock events? Mm -hmm. Fine, whatever. But if you're looking for, oh, how is my fuel trim doing under this load mm -hmm. as the car starts to heat up, then you can start looking at parameters together and you're an intelligent observer mm -hmm. as opposed to just a tourist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so definitely, like, something like Track Attic, I think, is easier to use. I've, another thing, too, is if you're hanging around a lot of people, like me and Scotty hang around a lot, you know, we do look at a lot of data. It's really helpful for us to use the same data, like the same data mechanism to review and overlap our individual data. Right. That might be something to take into consideration too, on top of the cost of things, is your, the ease and ability to actually get information out of it, because it's not always easy. Like it wasn't easy for us, we've learned a lot from each other looking at data, it's more than just speeds, like looking at you know, GPS plots or looking at the accelerometers and stuff yeah. like that, like trying to get more and more out of it. I mean, even just the last time we looked at data, you were looking, well, I'm looking at this, and I was just like, I don't even know how you get to that. <laughs> oh, we've got to push this and this, uh -huh. and oh, oh, I had no idea that that was even a function of yeah. that app. So it's definitely something you want to familiarize yourself and just play around with, you know? Yeah. Like, no matter what it is that you're doing. There, there's an underlying theme to this, which is driving mm -hmm. and trying to go faster. It's actually a lot harder to tell in the driver's seat when you're doing something oh, yeah. that is beneficial than you would think. You oh, would, yeah. Just like Tasso said at the beginning, you would think, like, you go around and you, you're, you're on your flying lap. You, you think you would know it right away, but it's, it's usually quite the opposite, or it can be quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. And, like, if you do try something, it really helps to know if you really did make an improvement and, and yeah. by, by how much. You know, like... Um, That's the whole Nick thing, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, like if, you're not, if you're not taking into consideration any of the variables about, like, the track temperature mm -hmm. and, like, how much he's pulling in the corner, like, was the track 25 degrees hotter mm -hmm. on this session? Mm -hmm. I mean his line could have been so much better mm -hmm. and he's losing time mm -hmm. but the track surface is is, is worse. the reason yeah and yeah ultimately i mean you want to be able to you want to be able to find what works all these different places because it's going to be different things that work in different mm -hmm. places and in different corners and in different cars <laughs> different cars yeah and you know once you once you start getting a sense of what works and finding these pieces that work and then you start putting those pieces together mm -hmm. then that's when that's when time really starts falling off mm -hmm. and that that's also when you start improving as a driver because you know you get more of a sense of like this is this is what i need to try and i need to try and capture this feeling or I need, like, it lets you know, like, okay, this corner is actually a late apex corner versus a standard apex or, mm -hmm. or an early apex mm -hmm. because this is the one that's faster. Mm -hmm. And then you can apply that knowledge to another similar corner mm -hmm. and another similar corner. Oh, yeah. You're, you're calibrating your own feeling yeah. Yeah. in the car, right? Yeah. So, like, you know that going super sideways in the corner is slower, and you can feel that. Even if it's the more yeah. fun way, mm -hmm. you, can, you can feel which one is faster or slower. Because and you probably can actually, then on, on a session or, or on an actual hill climb, you can actually feel the car stepping out more and you go, 
I'm probably losing time there. Maybe I should like lift up and try and get back into the blue group and yeah, carry more speed. It never works. <laughs> we don't lift. We don't lift. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I would, I would argue that the seat of your pants data is still data. Uh, mm -hmm. You just need to learn how to implement. You got to calibrate it. You got yeah, exactly. Just like anything else, any other tool you have. Yeah. If you don't have a reference or a scale or whatever for that data, it doesn't do you any good. So you got to put it all together and. It's a thing, too, you know, I'm, it's a never-ending learning process, yeah. right? It's uh, some of the best drivers out there are the really high-level test drivers mm -hmm. because they can be really consistent and have really fine-tuned butts for what is better, and they can give that data to move. major yeah. data powerhouses like a Formula One team, yeah. and they can say, oh, okay, that does or doesn't reflect in data, and it's a really valuable data point. So even for our, our level, it's something I'm continuously working on. And they can really feel out when something is making the car better or not. Yeah. I mean, this is, there, there's data, but then there's also the, then there's the car. Like mm -hmm. what you're talking about with track surface, mm -hmm. maybe two different sets of tires. This set of tires has got five hours of runtime on them, and this is a fresh set. Mm -hmm. You know, can you feel the difference between the two? A lot of variables. What if yeah. what if you're what if you're capturing the data at the end of a 20 minute session, after you've been pushing pretty hard, and the tires starting to overheat and mm -hmm. go away? Can you feel that, and then can you then see it in the data? There's, it's, it's learning all of that is all important. Absolutely, and I mean, and it's, I think it makes us all better too. I mean, an ideal position would be that you don't spend a ton of money on modifications that you can't justify actually right. work. But you know, when your wife or your husband's at home, you know, and they're browbeating you on that new part you just bought, if you can at least put it on and be like, I mean, the a data doesn't lie. I made a hundredth of a second on that lap yeah. with this $4,000 yeah. part. Yeah. Right. And you'll still get Yeah. Browbeat. You're like, just think how much it's going to cost to save two seconds. I'm like, oh, God. Maybe uh -huh. don't phrase it like that. Yeah, maybe. Well, <laughs> and, and at this point, maybe we should define what this theoretical best lap is. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, I'll take it. The <laughs> theoretical best lap is where you basically take in a session all of your best sectors and put them together and, and it'll tell you like based on GPS quality and stuff like that your theoretical best time. So like say that one time you got like you went through turn one it scared the hell out of you but it was super fast but it like it left you shook you know coming mm -hmm. into the second sector um, that was your fastest sector and then maybe two laps down um, you finally nailed it through turn three and your, you know, your backstretch time was the best sector you ever had in that sector. So it basically takes all those events mm -hmm. in each sector in one session and puts it together and says, hey, like, I know you only ran like a 201.0, but you could have ran a 159.7 if you would have scared yourself on turn one, not lifted on turn three, just sent it over turn five, you know, like, right. and you see like all those things that happened, you're like, oh yeah, if I could just sack up and actually put it all together in mm -hmm. one sector, one sector. Well, and that's that whole... Yeah, how do you feel about it, Scotty? The, the whole thing about time attack... <laughs> I mean, that's me too, I, I don't like is, is that one perfect lap. Yeah. And what that theoretical best lap shows you is that it's really hard to put down that one perfect lap. Because right. you're looking at your whole sec session and your fastest sector one time was on your fifth lap. Mm -hmm. And your fastest sector three time was on your first lap. Mm -hmm. Well, I was screwing off on my first lap. How do I have my fastest sector three time mm -hmm. in that first lap? Yeah. 
Yeah. But it basically it you can you can look at all that and just be like, man, I'm really screwing up. I'm I'm not linking all these sectors together. Like, it I, am I having a brain fart in between sectors four and sector seven? You know, because I I'm not pushing through there. And then the one time I was screwing off, that's my fastest sector. Well, and, and to be fair, like to a subject that we've talked on for the time trial stuff a bunch is traffic too. Mm-hmm. You can yep. actually get a sense of like, okay, this is this sector three is my fastest sector three, but that was the one time I didn't get held up by mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. this guy or whatever. So then you know, like, okay, if I can find a way to get that clean lap, then that's how much time I have to gain in maybe a couple different sectors that, that you're having issues with traffic on. Yeah. I think it's a valuable metric. Yeah. I know people have opinions about whether or not you can count your theoretical best time as really an indicator of how fast you're driving or not. So take that part out of it. I think it's a valuable metric because the closer my flying laps are to my theoretical best, I think it, the more disciplined and consistent of a driver I am. Mm-hmm. So I use it as a metric for that. If I can stay within a second of my theoretical best, on all my clean flying laps, mm-hmm. then I consider that a pretty successful outing for myself because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, I am being consistent. I am reproducing the results that I, I think work and stuff like that. Um, and that also gives me a goal too, right? You know, right. if I, I, I know that I can do this. I can yeah. do this if I can only be good enough at what I'm doing to do that Consistent <laughs> consistently. Right. right. Yeah. So. And, and here's where I think. Here's where I think it is a really valuable, or can be a really valuable metric, which is how much time is actually in the car. Mm-hmm. Like so, mm-hmm. so especially when you're starting out and you're not consistent. So like right. your your lap times are like two oh eight and and two fifteen, and it's hard to tell what what that was. And you and you're you're trying to like say build to to a point where you want to run a two oh six in the class mm-hmm. that, that you want to run in. Can you get there? Well, do I need to? make more power, do I need this, do I need that? But then if you look at all of your sector times and you look at your, your theoretical best lap and it's already like a 206, mm-hmm. but you can't, you haven't been able to put all those pieces together to get to the 206, you, your best is a 208. Mm-hmm. You, the, the time is already in the car. Right. You know that the improvement is in, is in the driver right. or lap right. management or something mm-hmm. like that. The time is already in the car. You don't need to tweak the car at all you need to find out well what is preventing you from connecting all these best sectors together and then find a way to connect the best sectors and then the time is already there so it kind of it, it from that standpoint it can help you from chasing ghosts right you know it's, it, it's, it, but it is also i think to some extent a particle at the end of the rainbow you can never get to because sometimes you end up with the fastest sector because you've thrown away the sector before it sure i mean it's a Similar to the concept of you throw away the last sector of your lap before your flyer and your time attack stuff. Probably. Right, where you're you trying to get like the best run at the mm-hmm. opening yeah. of the start stretch, or you abandon, you sacrifice the corner after the finish line on your mm-hmm. flyer. That can be happening sometimes inadvertently, or sometimes I guess if you wanted to game the system and just put together the fastest theoretical lap and have your own different competition from everybody else. That reminds you could me of that sector by sector. Probably reminds me of a funny story. Will uh, Young, he had a uh, he was trying to set the record at Road of Atlanta, and the finish line's pretty much right at the end of the straight stretch uh, on the front of the track, and or at least where they were measuring the time. And basically, you'd already be breaking for turn one, trying to not die. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> he, he basically 
stayed on at full throttle to break the record um, and then just hoped that he was going to be able to slow the Civic down <laughs> in time. This is like not, win, just no, no, no. That was a road event. Same guy, though, yeah, but no, not no. at that event. This is a couple of years ago. And it's such a crazy thought because you never think about it necessarily. I try and think about it sometimes, like when I was at NCM trying to set up the last turn so I have like the top, the highest top speed I can have coming on to turn one. But like he literally is like, okay, I'm just not going to lift. I'm just going to make sure I can put the car somewhere where like under extreme threshold braking after I cross the flying finish line that I don't die. And I mean, and that worked that one time. Did it work? Yeah. Oh yeah. He's awesome. still has a record for front wheel drive unlimited. <laughs> and yeah, so like crazy enough to try. Yeah. And so that's kind of the, the crazy thing you get out of like time trials or time attacking that you don't get in road racing. Telling me is they should put star finish lines mid corner. Yeah, so really ridiculous. It's getting really crazy. You just see these cars just go airborne. No. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it was one of those, I think it was Road Atlanta, but it was one of those tracks where the finish, like, you already would be braking for the next turn normally, but he said, nope, not this time. I hit a finish line like that on a mountain bike one time, and I moved the whole finish line out of the way. I just sent it. It was like a big drop into a finish gate. I used to race downhill mountain bikes. So not cross country or something, um, and just sent it over the finish line, bounced all sorts of crazy, and I hit the finish line and bounced back, like up the course. It was padded <laughs> right. I was okay, but I moved the whole finish gate. It misaligned the beams. It delayed the whole thing. I don't know. It's just a different story. But did you win? I bounced off. I got my. I ran up because the bike has to cross the line for the for it to count, or at least the majority of the bike has to cross the line for it to count. <laughs> Hell, you can even use data to try and figure that stuff out too if you're really getting particular like all right if i can set up what's the best setup coming out of the last sector to set my first sector up as best as possible mm-hmm. and it might not be the fastest but you can always see like especially if your gps is really good you can see your line and you can follow it, like back it up like i know that when i run this line consistently through the s's say in high plains that i have the best you know first sector consistently but if I set it up like I would normally drive it, I, it ends up being like a mediocre, like a couple tenths. Yeah, it's a relatively short start straight, mm-hmm. but it has a complex set of corners entering it. Yep, exactly. So, it's well, interesting. Maybe that's an important lesson that you can use the data to tell you is that one corner affects the next corner, oh, yeah. affects the next corner, and it really like you can you can be off on turn five by how you took turn two. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Or turn three. And and sometimes maybe the data like being able to look at the data, like that's something that you might not intrinsically or even or even just like naturally assume would be even possible. You know, like, well if there's a straightaway, a long straightaway, I mean how could the corner two corners before mm-hmm. have any effect on the straightaway? Yeah. I'm I'm going straight and just you know, mile pedal down, what difference does it make how I took two corners ago? Yeah. But it turns out it, it can, and when you're really trying to get to your best time, it, it does. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> Dang. I'm not going to be on camera anymore. <laughs> I mean, you could probably just restart it. I'm assuming. 
Assuming the camera's battery or just battery. Oh my goodness. Technical difficulties. Yeah. Maybe we should swap both batteries out while we're doing it. That one's uh, plugged plugged in. in. Oh, well, that makes way more sense. No tech, no problems. Since we have a few people here, why don't we open up Track Addict and look at, say, like, what was, uh, you know, fastest sector one time? Um, see if I can find it. I'm going to have to assume that's going to be on my. well, on my WRX. And while you guys are looking for that, <laughs> let me say, like this is this was one of the things I wanted to mention is, you, you can look at your data and pour through it, pour over it, find find analyze it a ton, but if you've got friends that have similar cars, mm-hmm. then comparing your data to somebody else's that's similar, like that can be really eye opening too in and of itself, right? Correct. And sometimes sometimes that can tell you like. We were just talking about your theoretical best lap and all, but like, if you're if you're you're plateauing at 206 and you can't get faster than 206, and you've got somebody like Toss over here that just like throws down a 204. Well, wait a minute, how in the hell did you do a 204? But then if you if you've got the data to look at, you can go like, well, kind of like what you're you're alluding to earlier. It's like, well, well, how is it that you're five miles an hour faster around this corner, seven miles an hour faster around this corner than I am? We're using the same tires. Yeah, you know, and then it's that, that's when you start really kind of looking more closely. Well, what's he doing that I'm not doing mm-hmm. to to get that to get that pace, and then and you kind of just evaluate from there. What's your so for you, Scotty? What's your fastest? So I'm just looking at my fastest lap, or at least that that session anyway. What was your fastest sector one time? Twenty four point oh six one. Woo! Point. Oh, six one. It's eight tenths faster than my fastest sector of time. Okay. So my fastest sector of time is twenty four point eight four six. I got a twenty four point seven four zero. Damn. So I got someone else's. And I'm trying to find out who. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's Porsche GT three Cup car. Uh, I think it might actually be a C seven Z O six. Oh. Wait, what's the current generation of the C eight? Just came C8's out. C eight's the one. Just a C seven Z O six. I'm trying to find out if it's that car. So what's kind of fun is that. So this is you're talking about sector one at high points. Yeah, sector yeah. one high points. Yeah, mm-hmm. you'll probably find a faster one if I go to a different track like Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, and to another extent, I mean, like you were saying too, like find out what other people that you're mm-hmm. that you're going to the track with are using, so that you can you know that the sectors are the same, that the the app is the same. And then, then the comparison of the data is, is then meaningful. Mm-hmm. But I mean that this is this can be part of the fun, and also uh, like a really good way to use the data is is to see what one person is doing versus another. Well, and I mean it. It was one of those things where, in March, after I had basically taken eighteen months off of driving my car to build it, um, and. I had, so my first time really back out on track at High Plains, and I was kind of struggling. I was, I was like three seconds off of my fastest lap, having fun filling the car out. Well, Ryan, somebody who had tons of seat time um, yeah. that whole year, got in my car and ran, you know, what, two and a half seconds faster than I had been that day, mm-hmm. right? That's when, you know, I had him actually send me his data. Because from your car, from my car, yeah. Because I was just like, "What am I doing wrong here?" 
And it was just one of those things of like, I had so many cobwebs up in here that I was having a hard time like trying to figure out how to push the car. And looking at his data in my car versus my data in my car, and I'm like, okay, so he's just, he's just driving the car. That was in March, you said? Yeah. Just, just, find that just way better than, than I was, you know, and that's, that's it's when, like that's when, um, turn six, I was doing so like 35, 36 miles an hour mm-hmm. through that corner. And he was doing like 46, 47 miles an hour wow. through that exact same corner. And that's, that's huge. Right. You know, that's tenths well, of seconds, if not a full second. And that's a, that's an interesting way to use data there too. It's like, so, so you have your car and you're driving it and you're capturing data on what you're doing. You know, if somebody else is driving a similar car and you can compare data and like, well, but what if they're different tires? What if it's different suspension? What if you've got more aero or they do? But then if you have somebody that you trust and you want to let them drive your car and you can capture that data, well now it's same for same and now you can actually see what well, what are they doing differently? Where are they breaking? Where am I breaking? Mm-hmm. You know, what is their speed through this corner versus what my speed through this corner is? It's like I was saying earlier, you, you can chase ghosts and think that it's something that the car is, like the, the car can't do, that you have to then change the car so that you can get your, your goal. But it might actually be in the car already that you, you just have to, you know, like, Use it differently. You know, steering puts differently, braking puts differently. Like a, a, yeah, a different line, different inputs. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff, or just someone with no cobwebs, right? You, you know, wrapped right. up in their brain. But so then you knew right away. Well, no, the car is still capable of this. I, I, I made some changes. The car can still do it. I just have to recalibrate, you know, my brain to get the to get the car to do it. Right, and it was one of those things. Like I built a car, thinking it could go do it. I just couldn't make the car do it. Right. But then it's like both Ryan and Nick got in my car that like back to back and they were just like, no, the car will do it. No, no, yeah. no problem. Yeah. <laughs> would, you, okay. would you say your fastest sector one time was? Uh, so you have 47.0 or 24.0. 24.016. That day in your car, I ran a 24.1. Okay. So like within a tenth. That'd actually be pretty, it's pretty crazy to think about. You guys are killing a C7 Corvette. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I got like 26 points something. Oh my god, I think I'd do better than my sister. stock tires though. It is showroom stock. Okay. C06 with two two big guys in it. And the seat air conditioner is going. <laughs> that so, sounds like luxury. How do you not have seen AC in your car? Oh no. It's not a Corvette, I guess, huh? Seat <laughs> air. Oh man. Mm-hmm. That's living right there. Well, so. And that was the fastest you'd ever been around high planes. Yeah, in your car for sure. And so, and in my car, you were within a tenth of a second off of my fastest sector one time mm-hmm. in, in there. So it's, what you're that 21.8, which was, so that was the WRX? Mm-hmm, the 24.8, yeah. yeah. The WRX, yeah. And, and yours, that, that was your WRX race car. Yeah. yeah. So yours is twenty four seven. Yeah. Okay. Let's look at sector two. Let's let's <laughs> let's dive into one more. You know, I I don't know if, if we still got anybody listening or watching. This is this. maybe where that six hundred and fifty horsepower of a Z06 comes into play. Maybe, huh? Is sector two the back straight. Um, I actually think sector three is the back straight. Okay. Let me click on here just to see, but. 
I can't actually find the breakdown of where the sector. Oh, uh, let's just show on sector two. Uh, sector two is is the backstretch. Yeah, yeah, it's basically after the kink, like the three B kink, into going into turn five. So yeah. it's literally just the backstretch. So what so, do you got? I'll tell you what a Corvette did. Is that theoretical best of a two hundred seven? On the lap, it did its best backstretch. It did a two hundred nine for the lap. And that was a 15.8. Dang, that's way faster than me. Way faster than me. <laughs> so mine's a 16.3 in the WRX. <laughs> 15.8 seconds for sector two. For sec- yeah. yeah, the backstretch uh, planes essentially. Okay, so I did a 16.1. And I got a 16.4. In okay. your car, 15.8. Oh, damn. Ooh. Oh, boy. So, so I mean. What's up, Corvette? Dang. <laughs> well, and, and so basically what that showed is that that Corvette making more power had more straight straight line speed. Right, but your corner entry or your corner exit onto the back stretch his, was. His yeah, corner entrance in yeah, like right, from, from two into three was way faster. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, my car only goes 125 miles an hour on the back straight. And probably through four. You're putting, I mean, you've got more downforce on the car sure and soft core yeah. so your corner entry of four is going to be faster yeah so his fastest gps speed for the about 139 miles an hour and it's probably probably at the breaking point for turn uh four and that was where it would have been 133.5 yeah. dang you guys are all going faster than well, me nigel what was your sector two time uh, as a 16.4 16.4 so way slower onto the straight and i mean part of that's like my turbo lag, mm-hmm. and then way probably way harder on the brakes than I need to be, and I've got no arrow, so my corner entry into four is going to be slower. Yeah, well, but your but that top speed's pretty good because in his car I did one twenty seven, and in my car on that same fastest lap I did um, I think it's one one twenty eight, but let me pull it up here. Um, yeah, one twenty eight. Hmm. So you're going five miles an hour faster than I was able to do in both of our cars. So this is this is a perfect example of okay, but now you've got the data. Mm-hmm. What is the data telling you? Mm-hmm. And so like knowing what the top speed is, but then the time of the sector. Mm-hmm. So you can go okay, well, the time was longer, but the top speed was higher, so it must have taken longer to get to that point. Or Nigel, maybe you didn't carry as much speed through three as Dusik did when he was in Scotty's car, or Scotty does. Yeah. So that's where you you look at the the data and you you. Try and get as full of a picture mm-hmm. as the data that you have will tell you. Like, so you have to know what the track is, know, right. know what sector of the track you're looking at, and like, get get as much data from that. And then, like, as you start to compare it, then well, that's where things start to. So, come, so come from. here's something that I just now learned from our data is that if he ran a fifteen eight, eight yeah. in sector two to my sixteen one, is that I am screwing up turn three. Yeah, and I I, I now know that. And so this is what we were saying earlier about how corners can affect straights and other corners oh, yeah. even mm-hmm. further down the track. Yeah. You're 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 losing three tenths in turn three A and B, mm-hmm. which is actually because you said your highest top speed was what one twenty five. So you know, so Dusik, you had a top speed two miles an hour faster mm-hmm. just by carrying more speed through three A and B mm-hmm. because of whatever you did in that point. Jerk. Right, <laughs> but then that's that. I mean, that one corner could shave three seconds off your theoretical mm-hmm. lap time. Three tenths, yeah. So, but there again, you know that that's. Well, that that's I'll ask this too, and 
and the, less, the least judgmental way possible. You've gone off at the exit of turn three, right, Scotty? Mm-hmm. Do you think that plays a factor in? Because it's a high-speed corner with a pretty peppy curve on the inside that I smashed pretty good, and you're at speed, you're fully side-loaded. Do you think there's an aspect of that that comes into like play? Like a mental block? Yeah, like, 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 I'm, like I'm you scarred? feel like you're going as hard as you can, but PTSD? your data, your data PTSD. is... Corner three PTSD? Yeah, uh, <laughs> you, think you're, you think you're carrying kind of a subconscious aversion to the corner or something like that? I think I always do. Turn three is probably one of the bigger ones. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things of... It, it can be scary to go off on turn three because depending on how the track catches your tire if you try and come back on right away, you know, how the weight's shifted. I mean, you can spin out, go on the outside, you can spin off mm-hmm. and go on the inside. You're already doing 80, 90 miles an hour. You can catch and flip right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, so yeah, there's some, there's a mental block, yeah. but. <laughs> no, and absolutely. really, I mean it not, because it happens to everybody, no, right? No, no, I'm Subconsciously, I'm yeah, yes. right, yeah. yeah. But it, uh, I'm not I wonder if that's one of those hit. things where I was watching a video of this guy going through Spa Frankershamp and, you know, ready on and stuff, and he thought in a nice aero downforce car he was flat the whole time. But the data was like, no, man, you're scared. (laughs) (laughs) I was flat the whole time. He went through and like... Maury Povich pulls it out, but the data says... (laughs) And uh, and he he went through 10 times. Like, every time he was like, man, that was it. I for sure went flat that time. And the, the engineer was like, no, man. You yeah, lifted. Yeah. You went to 98% throttle for a tenth of a second. Yeah. And it's just, it's those little um, little things that we're doing we don't even know we're doing, yeah. right? And, it, and the data doesn't lie. The data is going to tell you, yeah, man, you're, well, it, it, you're so not doing it right. Kind of to that end, this is, this is one of the interesting aspects where data can, they, it can point you somewhere, but to a certain extent, it can only take you so far, which is we know that Dussex did it, mm-hmm. but we don't know how Dussex did it. Like, like this, we don't know the specifics. So, Scotty, for you, you know that there's time there. Mm-hmm. And now you can go back to the track and you can work on turn three A and B. And honestly, like in hike lanes, at a track like hike lanes, you could probably spend a day and work on just three A and B. Mm-hmm. Like you could, you could, I mean, that's that Yeah, that exit, enough. the exit is so tricky on the yeah. three. And mm-hmm. what I notice, especially for myself and when coaching people, people judge their turn in time on the inside curb. Mm. And that sucks you in. It makes you turn too soon. And there's really nothing. There's not. It's not every day. Like if you went out and put a cone on the exit of turn three, you would be way faster because there's no vegetation or anything yeah. out there to see the exit. No curve. And I tell people like when you're there's curbing, but you can't see it on the exit. There's curbing on the exit. No. Yeah, well, three. Like, shows how much I'm. Case <laughs> point. But you know, oh, like right. I tell people when I'm instructing, and I was like, get used to looking there. When you drive by it, find something. I don't care if it's a blade of grass, if there's a dead prairie dog, if there's, and if you could put a cone out on three, so you could, I train your eye to it, you would, I guarantee you pick up time. Yeah, you should because there's, get the inside apex Exactly. Of it's that, it's, exit. It's and that that's exit. when you judge that, judge that turn, and mm-hmm. until you get comfortable where that's at, it is hard, and it's, yeah. it's just, it well, is a tough turn. It has a corner bumper out there, too. It's way further away than you think it is. Mm-hmm. But it's in my eye line as I'm coming through that corner. Mm-hmm. It's like halfway down the back stretch, right? Oh yeah, right. the four S cut off. But it's, oh, it's yeah. what I see though mm-hmm. when I'm coming out of there in the you know in the heat of that corner is 
Yeah. And, you know, it's the same. I mean, you see it with other corners, too, that have kinks in them. A lot of people don't treat the kink as a turn. They just treat it as something, like, that it doesn't exist. Like, turn nine is one of those spots where if you don't treat it like it's a corner as well, you're, you're losing time in there, you know, if you don't respect it. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to turn apex and come off of it, but you got to take that into consideration with the exit off of three and going down the backstretch. So it's interesting. I mean, but I plan to you really a could complex track like that. It okay, is. Yeah. And that's why I love it. That's why we obviously why we talk about it so much. But yeah. that's why I love it so much too. There's so much to learn at that track. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it, I mean, pulling back maybe two steps. I mean, when you when you start having that picture of the track when you're driving it, mm-hmm. when you start really having a good understanding of what you're doing in your car at the track. And then, and then to a certain extent too, like what's possible, this is where, this is kind of where, like there's a lot of people in high planes that, that just kind of spend a lot of time in a two minute, 20 second lap. Yeah. And, and that's just kind of the, that's just kind of the, the lap time, the world that they live in. But then like once this time starts to come down, like this is one of the differences between like why Scott in his 270 horsepower car can be going faster than the car that's making two or three times the power is mm-hmm. the time spent, the seat time, but then also just really being able to understand what his car can do in trying to consistently get back to what what that fastest lap time mm-hmm. is and versus versus not putting in the energy and understanding for whatever car at that track and, and just that's where that's where there's gonna be a lot of time difference between those mm-hmm. two cars. Yeah, it kind of harkens back to our last podcast when we uh, got derailed and talked about seat time, seat time, seat time. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that is it. I mean, and this is this is an interesting metric because just like any performance part that you could buy for your car, that like you get an enjoyment out of, like, oh, it's so fast, I can now I can do it 130 at the yeah. back stretch. Like you can take this and have that same kind of enjoyment, like, oh my god, finally I broke the 215 barrier, yeah. and then now I broke the 213 barrier, and. Yeah. That's exciting too. That's mm-hmm. so exciting. I remember I finally I, I spent all weekend trying to run uh, a two ten in my Civic, and I was held up two elevens, two twelves, two elevens, two twelves for two days. And that night I went and walked a couple guys out on the track and was talking about all the little spots, and it was refreshing me. That morning I ran a two hundred nine, and I was in tears. Like, <laughs> and that's in a hundred and thirty horsepower Civic, you know, mm-hmm. and you're like. The fact that you can use data to help drive that time down and nail that time down, it's like a performance part, anything else you buy, because it's that you can enjoy. Like, you yeah. really can enjoy that time out there. You're not just like driving all day, and like, oh, that was cool. Like, no idea what I did. Yeah. Or, you know, you just see it's, your it's lap times. For a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for a while. But that's, but that's one of yeah. the things that's just so cool is once you, once you figure out that thing that you're doing and, and find that time, I mean, that's a big chunk of time. Oh, yeah. Going from a two eleven to a two oh nine. Oh yeah, it was a huge emotional release too. <laughs> yeah, but then, but then like now you've got it. Like yep. once once you figure out what it is and you and you know what it is, mm-hmm. and that's where the data helps. Is it it tells you mm-hmm. this is this is the piece that, that you were missing, and now you've got that piece. Mm-hmm. Now you can go back, and now you're now you're running that corner or those the, that sector mm-hmm. this way that is now significantly faster. And now you can move on to the next one. Exactly. See, and, and sometimes, especially when you have friends that you can share data with, you can cheat off their tests. Yeah. yeah. You know, exactly. you look yeah. at their data, you watch their video. What did he do? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, I. No, nope, I thought I was doing that. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And yeah, yeah. Well, it's like yeah. 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 So it's like a depressing thing. Right? <laughs> like, oh, oh man, oh, I really gotta keep working on me. Can I please just buy a part and make right. this better? Like, well, how and, much and, money do I have to spend to go that fast? And I think I would say, I think that it's fair to say that, like, if you're if you have not really delved into data and you feel like you're hitting a wall, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times, this is this is what's going to get you past that wall. But now, to to another extent, extreme or to another extent. Like Scotty, what you're saying with um, like you're 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 having a difficulty finding like another half second of time or whatnot. This is where if you make a change, like say to the arrow, like you're, you're making changes to the arrow of the car now. Now the data is going to tell you when you go back out there. Okay, this is helping me get closer there. Maybe maybe you just launch right past this mm-hmm. the, the next goal. But this is a really good way to measure whether the changes that you're making to the car are actually helping you go faster. Well, and all that data that I have saved, like basically I have my fastest laps from almost every session for the last couple of years saved. So next year, next time I go out, I can take that data and compare it with all yeah. my old data and be like, what is the car doing different? You know, there's the butt dyno, I'll be able to fill things. Yeah. Um, but and then have data to back up a lot of that stuff. Do you use the note function in uh Lab Timer? I'm spacing now, all of a sudden what it's called. Track it. Oh yeah, where you can yeah, write notes on the yeah. bottom. Yeah. Like I was really fast and a badass and all yeah, right. yeah. yeah, that definitely that's <laughs> driver. Yeah. No, but I mean you could write, you know These are the changes you know, that arrow, big yeah, arrow right, car arrow. fell really fast. I do yeah. not dusty. Dusty track time, yeah, right. you yeah. know. How, right. how old the tires are? What what um, tires they are? There's so many. See, yes. damn you, Tasso. I'm gonna have to change my notes now. <laughs> I mean, so this is a good place for me to interject. Like, I'm developing an app yes. that includes all of that stuff into it. So it'll do your lap timer, but it also has what tires you ran, how many sessions you put on those tires. It'll have a whole driver notes like feature, and you can tag things in it. So like. Then you were understeering on every right hand corner. It'll show you that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's so many like factors to include too. So like your phone can do things like pull the weather automatically, so you can tell. Man, the track was, you know, I, I didn't have any grip that session. You're like, okay, the track was, or the the yeah, ambient, ambient temp was like, temp was mm-hmm. like 101 degrees outside. So your morning session when it was like 85 or something, you were quicker in the morning. You felt better in the car. It felt like a smoother lap, and you're much slower in the afternoon. You can start to put these things together. You know, your tire temperatures were much higher. Your tire pressures were much higher. Your, you know, you can start to correlate more of these variables to the lap time itself. You talked earlier too, off camera, about <clears throat> the way the different apps do the timing too. Oh yeah, so right? GPS. There's two different ways that you plot GPS in the phone app. So if you if you do have track addict and you've looked at the data, you've probably had like what Ryan was experiencing earlier, where maybe you're on a straightaway and it all of a sudden your your data jumps and you're 50 feet off the track, or there's a squiggle or some something crazy happens because they're they're using the raw GPS to plot a path that they think you followed around the track, and then they're basically using the sector points as gates and saying you went through this gate at this time. Here was your speed. Um, so sometimes the data can be super inaccurate and be like really misleading. So when I was in Road America, the GPS signals were like super bad. Mm-hmm. And so none of my laps, the, the timer is all accurate because I was running a transponder mm-hmm. alongside my 
um, GPS app, and the timing was all within, you know, a couple hundreds for the most part. And then you look at the the actual GPS plot, and I'm like 300 feet off the track at every any given point. So like you can't. A lot of times the GPS isn't accurate enough to show you like mm -hmm. where your breaking point is. Did you hit the apex? You know, that's where the, the yeah. timing to the video is really more important. Mm. The second way to do it is if there's a predetermined track for the entire layout and it's gated where instead of you having seven sectors, every like 20 feet on the track, the app thinks it's a sector. Mm. And so there's no way to tell if they're, if you're hitting an apex where your breaking zones are, except that the line of the whole track mm -hmm. changes color based on your speed. So I'll, I don't want to be like, categorical but a lot of times the GPS plot could be thrown away in favor of the speed trace mm -hmm. and uh, overlaying it onto the video because the speed trace is going to be much more accurate it's just your speed over time mm -hmm. the GPS data if they're using a filter to get rid of the squiggles like um, combining it with your accelerometer like saying your accelerometer says you didn't experience any sideways g-forces but the GPS jumps over here, and mm -hmm. we're gonna throw that data out. So the, the app is like trying to give you the better experience. Yeah. It's not necessarily giving you perfectly accurate data. Yeah. So, but the speed trace is gonna be the perfectly accurate mm -hmm. data because that's just your speed over time. Yeah, and you can do, I know with uh, when you're looking at the data, you can have speed on position and speed versus time. Yeah. And uh, or I think it's distance over time versus speed over time or something like that. Yeah. And you can tell how it changes it a little bit. It's like if you have really good GPS data, it looks almost the same, maybe a little bit stretched out. But when you have bad GPS data, I mean, like you're saying, you throw the speed versus time on there versus the distance and or mm -hmm. position, and it changes it dramatically. Hmm. And yeah. probably more on your favor, like you're saying with the speed trace. And yeah, I think it's that's a good point. Road America's got a lot of trees <laughs> and yeah. a lot of bridges. <laughs> yeah. So you gonna? How do I learn more about your app? Yeah, where's this app? Yeah. Okay, so it's uh, it's called Track Ninja. Um, it's yeah. not available yet. We're still in development. We're hoping for uh, a spring twenty twenty one release. Um, it'll be on iPhone and Android, and we have a website kind of in under construction right now. Track Ninja app. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we're trying to take like the best features of a lot of the apps that are out there and, and add to it after our kind of year of experience doing grid life and like the kind of stuff that I was trying to keep track of that no apps were doing, like my tire pressures after every session, like, all right, now I've got a clipboard and I'm writing stuff down and we're like, I got a laptop and I'm trying to put stuff in spreadsheets and it's just super annoying to try and collect all that data into one place. So that's really what what my app's gonna be able to do is take the video, it'll use the video on your phone to capture a video, it can overlay the Which GPS data at the same time and then that's you know, collect all the other stuff that you want you wanna take after a session. So like more test. data points after <laughs> a lab. Yeah, 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 like your, your tire pressures, your tire temperatures, um, it'll automatically tell you like the time of the session, it'll add that to the time that your tires have on them, so it'll say, and these tires have like five hours of race time on them. Mm -hmm. So if you're seeing like dramatic decreases in like the lateral G's, like there it'll correlate all that information for right. you. Right. Which is stuff that big professional race teams are doing 
but big professional race teams have big professional race team budgets and, and, and staffing levels, right? Yeah. 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 People who can actually read a name solo. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, that's part of it too. Is like we were talking about this when we were developing the app. Like, how do you how do you have like it, it basically we want it to be like a crew chief in your phone, right? Mm-hmm. So it can help you analyze and say like if you put in all your tire pressures and say one of them is off by three psi, it'll like alert you to that and say like here's something to change and here's something to consider and mm-hmm. and have little hmm. that's badass little blurbs like the algorithm yeah. sure yeah. Sounds like a lot of work, but so I'm definitely curious to see the result for sure. And it's you you can really go down a rabbit hole with this data. And and I think there's there's if you're if you're diligent about it, there's really no limit to what you can pull from it. But at the same time, like you, you can't lose you can't become so obsessed with the data that then again you go don't go back out to the track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it still has to be yeah. fun, right? Yeah. I mean yeah. for none of us our job is driving perfectly. Right. All of us have a different job yeah. than driving. And driving is what we do for fun. So it still has to be fun. But I also I enjoy improving. Yeah. Right? So and more more than anything, I think the perspective to keep when you're looking at all this stuff is it it's it's to, to try and shine that light or, or give you the little alert when like you're doing a good job, keep doing this, or this is not helping you, maybe don't do that again or or address this problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and then just the more you do it, the more you become familiar with the data, the more you become familiar with the car, the more you get seat time, then that's where again the improvement comes and that's where you have these breakthroughs. And those mm-hmm. those breakthroughs are just super cool. Oh yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, it, to, to almost an extent, it's like trying to get to that goal of a lap time. Like, once you actually do it, I mean, it's just such a huge accomplishment, especially if it's, like, multiple seconds. Mm-hmm. Like, somehow, like, you just went out and you went two seconds faster, but you know why, and then you got you do it again, you're like, I got this now. This is this is now in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a pretty amazing feeling. The new norm. The new norm. It's pretty awesome, too, and it shows you're predicted is exactly your fastest lap too like when you know you like really dialed it in i've only had one lap like that and that was after three days at utah my last my last lap and my my fastest lap my predicted lap time was yeah. my lap time feels so good and we still slow <laughs> <laughs> well those guys are just stupid fast that just means it's, we got to go back right yeah, that's yeah. all that track is an awesome track and, and unfortunately, it's not on Nassau Rocky Mountain schedule for next year. Really? Yeah. Oh. They put Hastings, Nebraska on there instead. I hear that track's really fun, too, though. Well, I'm, I'm excited about that, but I still yeah. want to go back to Utah. Yeah. I need redemption. Mm-hmm. Me, too. Last time I was there, I spun a rock bearing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well I think on that note. Yeah, I think this is probably as good a place to wrap up as any. I mean, hopefully, we still have people with this, you know, if we're talking about data for probably about an hour, but... It's it's a cool thing, and that's why we wanted to give some give some attention to it. So if you've stuck around this far, thank you. We really appreciate it. Um, Did anybody tell yeah. us what they want to hear about? No, that one's not published yet. Dang! Jeez! Oh, 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 God! Just beat that the whole time. Jeez. Did anybody? <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Whatever. That one should be up tomorrow. Oh, okay. now you're really putting us on the spot. Which <laughs> tomorrow is going to be really confusing to the people listening to this right now. It's going to come up at some point. 
It's going to come up at and some point. At that point, they'll wonder why the next one will also include a request for what the hell they want to hear about. And if you jump to this one, <laughs> go back, and it's, yeah, so if you want to send us a request, comment on the video. Yeah. Uh, whatever. whatever. We'll, yep. we're, we're, we're happy to, uh, we're open to topics. It's yeah. the long and the short of it. If you think these guys should be nicer to me, you can say that too. Shut up. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes, Wilson Tasso. OTC Racing. Yeah. Sad Boy 6969 69 on AIM. That's me, yep. <laughs> Hit me up. Dustix, you're at DSX Motorsports. That's right. Nigel, you're at You Know Me Racing. Yeah, and WRX buddy on like Instagram and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Scotty, he's just here at the shop. So, we're here. So. Yeah, well, thanks Thanks very much for, for listening and, and hopefully watching. Not wood. Um, and uh, yeah, as always, yeah, stay tuned with Flatirons Tuning. And I, I'll take this opportunity to mention that, like, if you guys have any questions, like, if you watch some of these videos or listen to this podcast and you have questions, don't forget that we do have a live chat app on our website. Uh, can't guarantee that we can give you huge swaths of time there, but if you've got any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. Guys. Yeah, and you've been reach out to, I don't know about Tasso, but I take people slide in my DMs all the time asking me silly questions about dogs and my favorite spaghetti recipe. But feel free to reach yeah. out and yeah. ask me questions about data and stuff too. Or nobody talks those. to me, man. Sorry. Well, there's, there's a reason for that, Tasha. Uh, all right. You gotta swipe right on Grinder if you want anybody to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. I keep trying every avenue, but nobody wants to be my friend. So, all right. Uh, well, thanks again for listening, and uh, yeah, till next time. All right, that was episode number 16 of the Flatiron Syndicate podcast. Um, thanks very much for listening. Thanks for sticking around to the end. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you're listening to this, you must uh, must like some of the stuff that we're doing and, and what we're what we're talking about here, and, and that's fantastic. Really appreciate it. Hopefully, you're getting something out of these. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully, you like listening to them as much as we enjoy making them. So, you know, if you're if you're listening here still at the end, you know, uh, please do um, like and, and if you can subscribe and review the podcast on iTunes. That helps out a ton. And um, yeah, as always, you know, if you can head over to Flatirons Tuning and, and see if you've got anything that you might need. Uh, that that helps support the podcast too. So, thanks very much again for listening. Thanks for your support. And as always, stay tuned with Flatirons Tuning.